Well, can I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much for your amazing blessings to us. And uh, Jesus, as uh, we come this morning to look at worship and what it means to worship you, Father, uh, we pray your Holy Spirit would uh, speak to our hearts in real and tangible ways, Lord, uh, that you might transform our lives for your glory's sake. God, fill me with the words that you would have me say. Uh, get me out of the way and uh, put more of you in the next half hour or so. In your name we pray. Amen. Oh, all right, well, good morning. Uh, we're continuing our series looking at kingdom culture and what is the culture of the kingdom. Uh, we're part of God's kingdom um, and with any community of people that has a certain culture to it. Uh, and so we've been looking at the various aspects of what we believe uh, should characterize uh, the kingdom culture, and particularly here at GPC. And uh, our, my, my topic for today um, is the kingdom culture is a culture of worship. Kingdom culture is a culture of worship. And I don't know what comes to mind when you hear the word worship. Uh, for some of us, maybe it's music. We think of worship music. In modern Christianity, we've that when we talk about worship, we talk about music. It's the music. Um, perhaps you come from a, a traditional background where worship is, uh, we go to worship on Sunday morning. We call this church service um, worship. Um, or perhaps you think of things that you see on TV where people sort of go like that and worship uh, people or other things or statues or, or whatever, whatever the heck it is. Um, uh, but Whatever it is, we're going to look at what the Bible says about worship and how we should worship uh, God, how we should be characterized by worship and what it means for us to be that. And as I prepared for today, uh, the more and more I thought about what I was going to say, I have two, um, I was walking at a knife edge, I guess is how I've written in my notes. Um, sounds very dramatic. I don't quite think it was like that, but that's okay. I've been walking a knife edge. Um, between worship on the one hand and focusing on that, and then talking about idolatry, which is the opposite to um, worship, having an idol. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't get to a point of saying idolatry. What it turned out to be was a wasted life. Right? So you can have worship as the way that God calls us to live, or you can have a wasted life on the other side. And, and, and the more I thought about what it means to worship, or perhaps what it means to miss out on worshiping God with all that we are, the more it became um, looking at a, a wasted life versus a life full of worship. And I think when we don't worship God, we fall into two uh, pitfalls there are that we, we fall into. One is we confuse an idol for God. Right? We confuse an idol for an, or an ultimate end, we think, is something that is God or, or that God will provide. And God is simply a means to get to that ultimate end. And, and what came to my mind as I was thinking about how can I give an analogy for this? I don't know if any of you remember a Will Smith movie that came out about 15 years ago called The Pursuit of Happiness. You remember that? It should have been called The Pursuit of Money. Like, hands down. They played the trailer, and I was, like, I was really excited. You know, there's Will Smith, and he was looking all fatherly with his, the little boy, and they were, you know, sleeping in, you know, outside, and he's 
I don't know, there's probably some inspirational thing on the trailer. Um, I get suckered in by trailers all the time, even though I know it's the best bits. But anyway, I went along to see this movie, and basically all it was was the story of Will Smith's character chasing after money. And he had a dream to get rich, and he'd do no matter what it was, whatever he could do, whatever it cost him to get rich and to get to a certain status in life that he thought he should have, and he thought what it meant to be successful. And I felt really ripped off. All right, because it wasn't the pursuit of happiness. Because we know the eternal truths that money doesn't make you happy, does it? Things don't make you happy. A relationship won't ultimately make you happy. It's only God that gives true meaning and true life to all of these things and gives true purpose to all of these things. So the first pitfall is that we can confuse an ultimate end. Uh, for God or an idol for God. The second thing is that when we chase after something, or and even if we're not pretending like it's God, you know, if we're not people aren't Christians, right? They chase after an idol, something that is ultimately controlling their life and dictating how they make decisions and how they make um, or what they're going to chase after and prioritize in their life. When they chase after that idol, they lose who they are. For they lose who they are, and they don't find freedom right? When, when they chase after whatever it is, they have to shed a whole bunch of things that make them who they are in order to attain whatever this ultimate end is. I won't, won't talk about that. That's fine. Um, one of my favorite preachers, Tim Keller, um, who ministers in New York City, uh, talks a lot about people in his church, and he, he challenges them because they're trying to live a successful life, and they're trying to make it in New York. Uh, and he said this line that really spoke to me, and I think illustrates the second pitfall uh, when talking about the idols of success and money and the things of the world. He said, many a child has been sacrificed on the altar of success in New York City. Many a child has been sacrificed on the altar of success in New York City. And so, and so what he's getting at, he's personifying success as an idol, as a literal god, and the idea that, you know, the child sacrifice. And, um, and when we pursue these things, we, we, we do it to the detriment of the things in life that truly matter, either family or marriages, relationships, or whatever it might be. Um, and so as we, as we look at, at worship and what it means to worship God, we have to be aware that we can put up false idols in our own lives, that we can chase after things that ultimately aren't God. And we can use God to get to those things, uh, even though, and, and fool ourselves like we're trying to, you know, like we're with God and God's helping us get those when really we're just using God to get that thing that we want. So um, I've got three, three topics or three t- headings that I want Uh, to cover today um, about worship. Uh, We give our all in worship. We worship in all ways, and we always worship. So we give our all in worship. We worship always, no, in all ways. I should have put a slide up. And we always worship. Um, I was trying to be clever and have a play on words, and I've just confused myself clearly, haven't I? There we go. Right right throughout the Bible, worship is... um, Define, sorry, let's define worship. Worship is essentially um, paying homage to God. 
It is an attitude and an activity designed to recognize and describe the worth and value of someone. Right? Worship is homage. It's an attitude or activity designed to recognize the value of a person. Or to put it another way, worship is directing ourselves and our energy towards God for the glory of God. Right? Directing ourselves and our energy towards God for the glory of God. And this runs all the way through the Bible. Aligning ourselves with the will of God and honoring Him and glorifying Him in our lives. When we see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs in Genesis, whenever God does something, whenever God acts in their lives, they give Him praise and glory by offering Him their worship, usually through a sacrifice. Right? They acknowledge God for who He is. They, uh, they direct themselves towards Him and honor Him in a way that is worthy of what He has done for them. Adam and Eve, when they walked in the garden with God, and uh, when they trusted in Him and they listened to His words in the garden, and that lifestyle and relationship of living with God was an act of worship. Because the right act of worship for them was obeying what God wanted, what God said, what God commanded. They were worshiping Him with their obedience. Of course, when God delivers His people from Egypt, He makes a covenant with them and gives them the gift of Him being their God and them His people, and giving them a land of abundance, of defeating their enemies, of making a name for themselves, of promising to always be there with them and make a way for them in the world. The people can offer nothing else because that relationship's one-sided, right? They've got nothing to offer Him. All they can give him is their worship. All they can do is respond with an attitude that submits to God and directs everything they have and everything they are towards him and who he has revealed himself to be. And they do this through obedience to the law. They do it through the many sacrifices for sin, for thanksgiving, for the first fruit of their harvest. Again, actions which show uh, an honor and glorifying to God of who He is for the worth and value that God has for them. They put God in His rightful place. They acknowledge Him with an attitude and action for who He is. And of course, we mentioned idolatry, the opposite, isn't there? In the garden, What happens when Adam and Eve stop worshiping God with all that they have? They start paying attention to the serpent, to the snake, don't they? They start acknowledging the serpent's words by believing them instead of acknowledging God's word as the ultimate truth and authority. And so, therefore, are idolatrous in their acts. And, of course, God judges them. In the desert, when the people make a golden calf, despite their worship being sincere... They've made an idol, and God judges them, killing 3,000 people that day, right? How do we worship God? How do we posture ourselves so that we are honoring God and glorifying Him with all our energy and effort in all that we do? And think about this for a second. God is so vast, so holy, so glorious, so abundant, so almighty, so powerful, He's the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things, merely by his thoughts. The Bible says that all things are held together. It says that nothing came into being without God's word controlling it. He controls the weather, the earth, the sea, the stars. Yet he cares for the birds of the air. He knows the number of hairs on your head. You know the number of hairs on my head, but God knows the hairs on your head. 
right? He is a God who is vast and transcendent and holy and mighty, yet intimate and loving and just. What could we possibly do to recognize and show the worth and value of a God like this? What does it take to truly worship this God who we proclaim and who we believe the Bible says? Is it four songs in a service? Is it an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning? Is it $20 a week? Is any of this enough to say thank you or pay homage to this mighty God who gave his one and only son to die for us on the cross so that we could know him and know the blessings that he has for us? What can we give in worship? Jesus tells us in Matthew 22. He tells us in Luke 10. He tells us in Mark 12. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Everything. With all the energy that you have, with all the thoughts that you muster, with all the desires of your hearts, all the strength in your muscles. Direct them towards God in all that you do. Romans chapter 12 nails this point. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable. That is your spiritual worship. Present yourselves ready to be used how God would call you to be used. For the purposes of God, for the glory of God. God wants everything. And the problem with the people in the Old Testament is they started to think that they could just give God the sacrifices and that would be okay. And God would be happy and they could go and do whatever they wanted. And so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 to 7 says, it's actually more than that. It's not just about doing the things of the law, but it's about the posture of your heart, the attitude of your minds, and your will being directed towards God's. God, mind, heart, strength, everything must flow and be uh, positioned towards God. God wants it all. Our worship should be all that we are. Worship is also all our ways, is all our ways. If our worship is to, to direct and align all that we have and are to pay homage and tribute to God and point to Him and His value and worth in our lives and in this universe, this opens up the scope of what worship is, far beyond what I think many of us have thought. If we are to present our whole lives as living sacrifices of worship to God, by the renewing of our minds and the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives, then everything we do can be an act of worship. Everything. As we grow in our relationship with God, as we grow in our ability to discern the Holy Spirit and listen to God's voice, and we practice stepping out in faith and trust of Him, and speaking the words that he calls us to speak, and call, bring the kingdom of God where the kingdom of God is not, where we speak peace and act in justice and give hope into situations where there is none, we pay tribute to our God. We direct the world to look at our God. We direct the world to see the one who we worship and who we follow. Everything is worship when we are in tune with God, 
and bring him into the situations that we find ourselves in. And here's the awesome thing. God has blessed us and given us ways in which he can equip us and help us to focus on uh, and help us focus our energy and all of our life around Jesus Christ. And they're things that we know so well but so often forget to practice. Prayer. I heard a prayer defined this week uh, as making space in our lives for God to step in and act. Prayer isn't an intentional and concerted effort of our time and our energy to honor God by giving Him space to speak and move in our lives. Do we pray? We pray all the time. If this is the opportunity that we have, that's at our fingertips, that's free, that's with us wherever we go, how often do we do that? Song and music, Ephesians 5, 18 to 20. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Music is such an amazing gift. It connects the heart and the head and the soul together in a way to to direct our praise for the mighty deeds that God has done in our lives. I'm not an emotional person. Ask Becky, it takes a fair bit to make me tear up. Um, That's not something to aim for, by the way. Um, That's just where I'm at now. Um, I'm working on that. Um, But so many times I've been in worship and I've sung the words to the song and I've just felt the presence of God connect with my heart in ways that would not have happened if someone had just spoken those words to me. One time, um, I'll make it sound like a... One time, when I was in India, um, I'd spent six months there working in a, a Christian bookshop and helping manage that, and I got to my last day of my time there, and, uh, and I was rushed off, off my feet, and I, I went into church, it was a Sunday, my last day, and I went to the early service because I had a lot to do, and as I went into this church, I thought, what a waste of six months. What have I done? I've just helped manage a bookshop, I've dusted some books, I've sold some things to some people, uh, what is it? I, I, I couldn't see it. But as I got in there, I sat down there in the middle of the worship because I'd shown up a little bit late. Um, and um, the song was just playing. And it was this song that I, I just loved when I was there. And I f- heard, only heard it when I was there. And it's called Praise Adonai. Uh, From the rising of the sun to the setting of the day, Praise Adonai. And um, as, as I just heard these words, I just broke down in tears. And I was just overwhelmed with God's presence, and I felt him just say to me, I have been with you, and this hasn't been a waste. Trust me, it hasn't been a waste. At Easter camp in 2003, it's the first time I, I heard that song, How Great Is Our God. Um, How great is our God. And that, that line, the Godhead three in one, Father, Spirit, Son. Um, the truth that is just in that sentence to the music that I just heard for the first time, just sent shivers down my spine. And, and I could just feel the presence of God when I, when I heard that and just how good God is and how mighty and how mysterious and wonderful. But if someone had said that to me, I'd heard that a million times before. But through song, my, my soul and my being was connected to, to focus and glorify God in ways that I, I couldn't do by myself. 
Crown him with many crowns. Crown him the Lord of years, the potentate of time, creator of the rolling spheres, ineffably sublime. Beautiful words, but when you put it to a song, it's even better. The glory and majesty of God. Glorious. Music will transcend words and communicate to our souls and minds in ways that a sermon will not. This is a gift from God. One pastor said, on the good days, worship is fun, but on the bad days, worship is essential. And he's talking about music here. You know, when we're having a bad day, we can direct our souls to worship God by singing a glorious hymn, by singing our favorite worship song, by declaring the praises of our God no matter what we are facing. On a good day, worship is fun. On bad days, worship is essential. Amen. Fasting is another way for us to engage the whole of our body towards God and direct ourselves towards Him, acknowledging God as the source of our nourishment. As we get hungry, it spurs us on into praise of how glorious our Master is in providing our every need for us. You can see why Jesus told the Pharisees not to be haggard and screw up their faces when they fast because people will look at them and then praise them for fasting instead of directing that worship towards God. And the same is with giving of our finances. Again, like fasting, it shouldn't be done to the praise of other people because then it's robbing God of the worship and praise that's due to Him and Him alone. Are we positioning the whole of our lives and all of these practices towards God is an act of worship. Communion, eating, is an act of worship. Truly honoring God through the actions of remembrance and honor. Reenacting the greatest story ever told, which screams out the greatness of God. Silence, perhaps one of the greatest acts of worship that we have in our toolkit today. In our world, purposely and intentionally giving one, two, five minutes a day to direct our focus and attention towards God, to hear His quiet voice speaking to us and encouraging us, is an awesome act of worship. And here's the, here's the really awesome thing. Our Sunday service is where, hopefully, all of these things come together. This is why we call it a worship service. Our Sundays should be the place where we are centered and grounded and encouraged to reignite our worship of God for the week. That is why meeting together with our brothers and sisters in Christ on a weekly basis is so important. It spurs us on and encourages us in our worship. When our tank is empty, we've got others to lift us up. Got my first two points. What were they? I haven't written them down here. That's okay. I'm, I'm confusing myself with my play on words. I've got my last one. Worshipping God at all times. Right? Um, all, so first one, with all we have. Second one, there's all the ways in which we can worship God. And always worshipping God. There we go. Always as in one word. 
This is bad. I just shouldn't make like, puns like this. Clearly, I'm not the smart one here. Um, so, if we are to worship God with all that we have, um, with our heart, our mind, our body, our soul, and our strength, how do we do this? How, this is, how is this possible by ourselves? And the short answer is really it's not. Right? It's not possible by myself. It's not possible with all the effort that I can muster. But it is possible because there was one who loved God with all his heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. Jesus Christ, who upon the cross gave himself up for us, gave up his body, carried upon himself the sins of the whole world to make a way for us to connect with God, made a way for God to give the Holy Spirit to us, to live in us, to live in our hearts, And so this is why Paul, then in that reading that we heard from Acts, can be imprisoned in Philippi after being severely beaten, bloody, bruised, hands in stocks, in the middle of the night, in the darkest cell, in the depths of what should be despair, he can sing praises to God. He can pray out loud to the goodness of God and declare the mighty acts of God in that setting, because Jesus Christ has set him free, has set him free to worship in spirit and in truth. And the irony there is that it's the jailer who's the one who isn't free, and Paul's the one in chains who is free. And ultimately, the jailer comes to know Jesus and to be set free himself, to worship him with all his life. Knowing the truth of who God is, What he has done for you should enable us to worship God no matter what the situation we find ourselves in because the good news of Jesus Christ does not not change. The good news of Jesus Christ is what he has done for you. And he will not take it back. That's why those words from Psalm 9 that I read before are so important. I will give thanks to the Lord. I will recount his wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt him. I will sing praise to your name, O God Most High. Sometimes we don't feel like it. But the Bible calls us to worship, to meet God in worship, to posture ourselves towards God in worship, so that even in the midst of our suffering, God is glorified. And by the strength of God's Holy Spirit, as we draw close to him, We will find joy in this worship. We will find hope and purpose. Because God and the gospel will be the wellspring of our joy, will be the satisfaction and purpose in in our lives. There is nothing greater than for us to get to the end of our lives and joyfully give our last breath for God, fully satisfied that all that we did was of value and worth because we centered and directed our lives in submission to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And as we breathe our last breath, we will see heaven open before us and Jesus with arms wide open saying, Welcome home, my good and faithful servant. That is a life of worship. A life giving all we are to God, directing all we have towards Him to the praise of His glorious name.
Can we pray? Oh Lord, you are so worthy to be praised. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're not a tyrant. You didn't come with power and crush your enemies. But you came in love as a servant, as our friend, as light in the darkness. You came to show us the way, what it means to worship with all our heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. You came and filled us up with your Holy Spirit that we would be equipped to do the same as we position ourselves and posture ourselves towards the Father. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Help us to worship with all that we have and proclaim the kingdom where you would have us go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.